Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. In our last session, the church was flourishing with many people becoming followers of Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. As chapter 11 ended, we learned of coming famines that will impact the entire world, especially impacted by the lack of food throughout the land were the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. Not only was there a lack of food, but because of their new faith in Jesus as Messiah and Savior, most were ostracized from family and friends. Therefore, the help that would normally have been available to them would simply was not offered. This became a wonderful opportunity for the church to minister to one another, as well as to neighbors, family, and friends. They sent an offering to the Jerusalem church, and the men chosen for this ministry of grace were Barnabas and Paul. This action now establishes these two men as a ministry team within the church. In today's passage, we will see two other men who played a key role in the first century. Each one had a great impact on the church, but for many different reasons. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12. The Word of God reads this way. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to, to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Let's pause there. Christianity had been growing in popularity since the day of Pentecost. The Christians were a threat to Rome and to Herod personally. The Jews were already despised by Rome because they refused to worship the emperor. But when people began to follow and worship Jesus, the Jews turned the Romans against the Christians in order to deflect the attention away from themselves. Now Herod had progressively been losing his popularity among the people, and to fully appreciate who this man was, let me read from the Life Application Bible Commentary. It uh, reads this way, this, this, this was King Herod Agrippa I, the son of Aristobulus, the grandson of Herod the Great, who was the one who murdered the babies at the time of Jesus's birth. His sister was Herodias, who had been responsible for the death of John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I was partly Jewish. The Romans had appointed him to rule over most of Palestine, including the territories of Galilee, Perea, Judea and Samaria. 
he persecuted the Christians in order to please the Jewish leaders who opposed them, hoping to solidify his position. In an effort to gain even greater favor among the people, Herod decided to do something that would shock the Christian community, creating among them a great fear of the power of Rome. He had the Apostle James arrested and killed with a sword. James was the first among the apostles to die a martyr's death. And this is significant in that it is a fulfillment of something Jesus said to James and John one day when they were asking Jesus for the right to sit beside him when he came into his kingdom. The account is found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23. Let me read that for you. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, who were James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. That was the cup of suffering and the cup of death. Jesus had warned both James and John, who had asked for the best seats in his kingdom, that they would drink his cup and share his baptism, that is, participate in his sufferings. James had just drunk from Christ's cup. John would be the last of the 12 who would drink from that cup. At the age of 90, he would be arrested and placed in a tub of boiling oil. Following that terrible suffering, he would be sent to the island of Patmos to do hard labor for several years. However, it was during this time that God gave him the vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in obedience to the command of God, he wrote down everything he saw and heard. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is the final result of that work. After several years on Patmos, John would be released, and he would travel back to Ephesus where he had earlier pastored a church. He spent his final years there, continuing to preach and teach about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Well, getting back to our passage, when Herod saw that the death of James pleased the Jews, he decided that he would grab another disciple and do the same. 
So he had Peter arrested. This is now the third arrest that Peter had endured. To be assured that Peter wouldn't escape, there were four rotating squads of four men each to guard Peter. A soldier was chained to each of his wrists, and there were two guards at his door. Now remember, these men were trained soldiers, and therefore escape would have been impossible. These things took place during the days of unleavened bread, which is a week following Passover, and it was a religious observance for the entire nation. This was a time where, under Jewish law, neither trials nor sentencing were allowed to take place. So the plan was to keep Peter in prison, in chains, until the Feast of Unleavened Bread was concluded. And then they would do a mock trial and then execute him. However, things did not turn out the way Herod thought they would. Let's continue reading Acts chapter 12, beginning now with verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. 
Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Peter was delivered out of prison by the power of God. This was an actual event that happened to Peter. But I think it, it's understandable that at first he thought he was experiencing a vision since it had not been very long since he had seen the vision of the sheep filled with unclean animals, which led to the ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles. But let's take a closer look at what took place that night. First, we read that the church was praying for Peter night and day, 24-7. They had just had the shock and sorrow of losing James. They were not prepared to lose Peter as well. And actually, God was not ready to allow that to happen either. Peter still had a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God. So, God did not permit him to be killed at this time. Many scholars have asked the following question at this point. Why did God allow James to be martyred, but delivered P Peter out of prison? Let's listen to the perspective Dr. Warren Wearsby brings to this question. He writes, why was James allowed to die while Peter was rescued? After all, both were dedicated servants of God needed by the church. The only answer is the sovereign will of God, the very thing Peter and the church had prayed about after their second experience of persecution recorded in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Herod had stretched forth his hand to destroy the church, but God would stretch forth his hand to perform signs and wonders and glorify his son. God allowed Herod to kill James, but he kept him from harming Peter. It was the throne in heaven that was in control, not the throne on earth. It is at times like these that faith is tested. In other words, do we trust God? Even when to our eyes it makes no sense. Do we trust him to do what is best for his kingdom and for his people, though we may have to suffer in the process? To what measure do we trust God? Well, both the church and Peter were trusting God. This is evidenced by their actions. We read in verse 5 that the brethren had gathered in prayer, praying constantly for Peter's release. How devastating it must have been for them when they heard about the death of James at the hands of Herod. Surely they had been praying for James as well, just like they had been praying for Peter now. Someone might even go so far as to ask, why pray? Will it even make a difference? I like the perspective Dr. Ironside brings to this. He writes, people say sometimes, 
Why do we need to pray? Does not our gracious God know all about us and what we need far better than we do? But we learn from the Word of God that God has chosen to do in answer to prayer what he might not do apart from prayer. He gives in answer to prayer some things he will not give apart from it. He says, you have not because you ask not. So prayer is the resource of God's needy people. Prayer for ourselves, prayer in behalf of others. And so God's people remained in prayer for Peter continually. In the meantime, although they didn't know it at the time, God was working for Peter's deliverance from his chains and prison cell. God sent an angel to Peter to lead him out of prison. However, when the angel arrives, he finds Peter sleeping. Now, we we need to remember some things here. Peter is going to be executed at the end of the week, just like James had been. Peter was chained to two Roman soldiers, one on the right and one on the left. Peter was in a cold, damp prison cell, and yet Peter is sleeping so soundly that the angel had to nudge him to wake him up. I'd say that that is faith in action. There have been many times in my own life when the concerns of the day or my tomorrows have kept me awake all night. This image of Peter sleeping in the face of such adversity has really captured my attention because it reminds me once again of how faithful our God is. And he is at work day and night for our good and for his good purposes. Yes, I can trust him, even to do the impossible if that is his plan, and so can you. As I was meditating on this, I was reminded of a few verses of scripture about the ministry of prayer. Let me quote for you just a few. First, we have the promises of God that he will hear and answer our prayers. He says in Isaiah 65, 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In Luke 11, verses nine and 10, Jesus said this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And also we have this beautiful promise in Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. God says this, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. But while we enjoy these promises, we need to also remember that we are commanded to pray. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, 
The scripture says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, we are commanded to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And in James 5, verses 13 and 14, he writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, while the church is praying, Peter is being delivered. Peter's chains fell off his wrists. He put on his shoes and his cloak, and Peter and the angel walked out of his dungeon through the first gate, out of the next gate, walking right past the Roman soldiers that stood guard at their various posts in the prison. Peter and the angel walked down the street without being hindered in any way. Then suddenly, the angel was gone. It was at this moment that Peter suddenly realized that this was not a vision, but rather it was a reality, and he needed to get to a place of safety soon. I want to take the time to share with you an important observation that Dr. Ironside makes regarding this event. He writes, Now mark this. If Peter had passed through that iron gate that the following day in his chains, he would have gone out under the Roman guard to the place of execution to die. That is what Herod intended. But Peter, obeying the word of God, having received the message of the angel, walked through the wards until he came to the iron gate. He might have said, I have no power to open that portal, but in a moment it gave way. It opened of its own accord. And Peter went through not to die, but to live and to spend many years in service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is today. If you and I had passed through the iron gate of death in our sins, we would have gone out into everlasting judgment. But, thank God, Christ has died for us. And therefore his death becomes our death. And the iron gate is open and we can say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we pass through the gate in him. So you have two pictures here, the picture of God dealing in grace with sinners, sleeping in chains. And on the other hand, you see his marvelous power in delivering his servant in answer to prayer. For while the church was praying, God was working. So Peter kept on walking, going straight to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and we'll talk about him more in a future lesson. Why this specific house? 
Well, Bible scholars believe that there was an upstairs room in Mary's house that may have been the location of Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. And it may have also been the place where the 120 earliest believers met for prayer as they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they surmise that Mary's home was a common place of meeting for the Jerusalem church and obviously for gathering for prayer. If this was true, then it makes sense why Peter would go directly to Mary's house to speak to the brethren before he left Jerusalem to an unknown location. What happened next is almost comical because while they were praying, Peter knocks on the door and when Rhoda answered his knock and realized that it was Peter, she ran to tell everyone else without letting him in. And no one believed her. In fact, they argued with her, thinking that it was impossible. Perhaps she was losing her mind with grief. Maybe it was his angel, but not really. And during this entire time, Peter's outside desperately knocking to be let in because he couldn't risk being seen. So here we have the church praying and the answer to their prayer is standing right outside their door. And they simply couldn't believe it. As someone once observed, God could get Peter out of prison, but Peter can't get himself into a prayer meeting. You know, I found that to be true in my own life. Have, haven't you been praying and praying for something and then one day God answers that prayer and, and you just sit back, you're just amazed. God answered the prayer. Look at how God answered that prayer. And sometimes we are just, it, it, yes, God answers prayer. And God answers the prayer of his people whom he loves so much. Why are we surprised when he keeps his word? So finally, they do let Peter in. And he quietly told them all that had happened. Then he asked them to share his story with James and the rest of the brethren. The James mentioned here is the half-brother of Jesus who became a believer in Jesus Christ as God and Savior after Jesus' resurrection. We know that Jesus appeared to James personally from the passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Here the Apostle Paul explains the sequence of appearances uh, to the brethren. Let me read that portion to you, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, then by the twelve apostles. After that he was seen 
by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, meaning that they have died. After that, he was seen by James, his half-brother, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, also, as by one born out of due time. James became the chosen leader of the apostles from that point forward. And we hear from him again as the leader of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. After Peter spoke with the brethren that night, he left town for good, as there was now a price on his head in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that Peter had a traveling ministry and his wife accompanied him. Also in 1 Corinthians 1.12, we know that he visited Corinth. Other than that, the Bible is silent on his whereabouts from that point on. However, we can be assured that wherever he went, he continued to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, teaching and encouraging the brethren for the rest of his life. Well, in the morning, when the guards came to get Peter for his execution, they discovered that he was not there. There was a Roman law that stated if a soldier allowed a prisoner to escape, he would suffer the penalty of the prisoner's crime. Therefore, the guards that had been assigned to watch Peter were executed that same day. One last thing. We know that there are many brethren throughout the world today who are in prison or are suffering persecution because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Warren Wearsby gives us some good counsel regarding this. He writes, Hebrews 13.3 commands Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. In other words, pray for them as you would want them to pray for you if your situations were reversed. We ought to pray that God will give them grace to bear with suffering so that they might have a triumphant witness for the Lord. We should ask the Spirit to minister the word to them and bring it to their remembrance. It is right to ask God to protect his own and to give them wisdom as they must day after day deal with a difficult enemy. We must ask God that if it is his will, they be delivered from their bondage and suffering and reunited with their loved ones. I consider this to be sound counsel. And I would encourage all of us, including myself, to remember to pray often for our persecuted brethren. And let's do so right now. Heavenly Father, we do lift up our brethren who today are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ and for the cause of Christ. We pray, O oh God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw near to them and that they would feel your presence abiding with them even now. Pray, O oh God, that you would strengthen them with your word, that you would place your words upon their tongue when it is 
the right moment for them to bring that testimony of Jesus. Pray, O God, that you would guard their hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And we would ask, O God, that if it is your will, that you would grant to them deliverance and restore them back to their family and to the church so that they might continue with their ministry for the sake of Christ. We entrust our beloved brethren to your hands, O Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me. That email address is BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all just one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. Well, until next time, my friend, may God continue to bless you and strengthen you day by day. Remember his promise. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age.